Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Free Agents Podcast. We are just flying along with these episodes. Time is going by at a crazy rate. Uh, sadly, Andrew will not be joining us today. He's on uh, IL after his procedure, but he's doing good. He's just high on painkillers, as one is after a procedure. So sending good vibes. I hope that you're listening to this, Andrew, and uh, he'll be back on Sunday for the next episode. However, today we are joined by a privileged guest, incredibly lucky to have him here. He is a busy, busy man, a fellow NYU graduate uh, who just recently moved to Malaga, Spain, which is a beautiful part of Spain. And uh, he founded his own soccer nonprofit, Passion FC, a couple of years ago, and he's killing it. Uh, please welcome Arik Rosenstein to the Free Agents Podcast. We're very excited to have him. Uh, we have Brandon clapping, if you cannot see that, yep. <laughs> the, the audio version. And uh, Arik, we're very happy to have you. Thank you for having me, guys. I mean, it's, an, it's a pleasure to be here. Such uh, great guys. And, uh, you know, a little offended. I was number four on the list, but, you know, I'll forgive you guys, of course. <laughs> well, hey, in, in, good your defense, in your defense, there was only one other guest, so you're technically number two. Yeah. Right. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, no offense to Liz, but maybe Ark was our first choice. But I think we have to say that to every single person we have on. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we have to, but. Looks but like Liz isn't coming back on the pod ever. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely not now, but Liz, if you're listening, we're, it's all in good fun. It's just witty banter, you know, as the, as the Brits say. But uh, we're sending good vibes to Andrew and Arik to start. Uh, I know that you did like almost every year of NYU abroad. And I know that because we would take the same classes and then you'd be like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving for another two years. And I'd be like, well, that's, that's a shame. So briefly, if you could, if you could run down your favorite NYU abroad location and why, we would be happy Oof. to critique those well, in our own way. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you fellow abroady over there in, in Brandon, right? Yeah. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go with Brandon, but we went to some different places. But I, I from the beginning... Um, firstly, I took a gap year before starting university, which I highly recommend to everyone so you can get your shit in order. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but uh, <laughs> you get your, your, your mind in order and all that. But yeah, I mean, from the very first meeting, I was about scheduling my classes in a way that I could go abroad as possible. I was supposed to go abroad three times, but we all know how our last year and a half of college. Yeah. Other one I was supposed to, so the first time I went was sophomore, sophomore fall. Uh, second year in the first semester went to Accra I went to Ghana um, which is this NYU site that nobody like nobody knows where it is nobody knows it's just like the first one that you skip past usually I was one of eight with seven other girls um, which was an amazing experience I worked for a team out there had a cool uh, uh, internship which was a ton of responsibility for for one of the biggest teams in Accra and then I coached out there as well for uh, for local public schools team and then i mean we can get into that as well but uh, then after that i went to argentina for supposed to be four months and then uh, march 2020 yeah. rip to my semester abroad but that was a great time also i did a homestay spoke a ton of spanish um and went to so much football or soccer um nah, and, nah it's football yeah. it's football on this podcast yeah. brother 
on this podcast, great. Well, that's the only reason I'm here still. You know? no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so overall, I think they're super different. I think it's about what you wanted out of it. Um, I think, yeah, they're both super, like, big eye-openers, and I was really blessed to be able to work and travel to both those sides of the world um, during my studies. Just as a quick follow-up, as someone who didn't go abroad, you know, obviously – I lived abroad in high school, so I felt, okay, let's just, I did study abroad for five years. Let's just study domestic for, for a little bit. Um, but what would you say was like the biggest challenge taking school in another country? Obviously, like you can, the language is the easy answer or, you know, I didn't know where things were until I was there for X amount of time. But in terms of just taking school, what was the biggest challenge that you faced well yeah it's it's remembering you're in school i think <laughs> like it is so fun and i think this nyu's dirty secret abroad classes are super easy um <laughs> you still have to do some stuff you still wind up with a paper or something and like if you actually pay attention to the classes you take you can actually learn a lot and develop yourself intellectually which i think is something essential so yeah it was for me it was like just remembering that hey I was actually abroad uh, to do school and not just go to football matches in different parts of the world and do hikes in the middle of Ghana and stuff like that but uh, yeah that's what I'd say. Brandon do you second that? Oh definitely I mean I'm just thinking like there was the architecture class we talked about before with Andrew on this podcast but I mean one of the other classes that Andrew and I were actually both in was a uh, music in Prague class so nice. our different classes we would just like one class we met at a jazz club and our professor was actually performing there we just all got to hang out watch his performance we did have to write like a one-page paper about it afterwards reflecting but we also got to go to like the opera in Prague which was an incredible experience and like sometimes you forget like wait this is our classroom like setting but it was still so much fun so you mentioned March 2020. That was a, you know, I'd say a jumping off point for a lot of other events. Um, how what would happened? you, yeah, <laughs> some, something called, this? yeah, yeah the, if anyone missed what's happened the past uh, year and a little bit, it's actually a pandemic, still kind of oh. going on. Uh, but what would you, you know, we're on Zoom. We No one knew what Zoom was until then. How would you kind of, explain how zoom is like affecting because you you run a business you're in a nonprofit that we can talk about mm -hmm. a little bit more later but how has that kind of affected obviously first like the school aspect i'm sure that you weren't a huge fan of zoom just knowing you yeah. but how did that affect like your day-to-day -day in terms of running your your business and how has that you know either made your business succeed more or or what yeah i think it was honestly like the way I phrased it and thought of it was it was a universal snow day. Like the entire world was home and craving social interaction, um, which is super, I mean, hopefully it'll never happen in our lifetimes again, but I, whatever, if it does or whatever happens. But I think that there's two perspectives. Like after the first three weeks where you're just like, Oh, this is great. You know, TV all the time, junk food, like, don't need to watch my weight or anything, all that. Like, then you kind of realize you miss 
talking to people and and building on that. But there was a lot of efficiency that came out of it. I think as a result, the world's probably forgotten how to socialize in a lot of contexts. I have, I just like now seeing meeting people and I just don't even know how to talk to them anymore. It's like, oh, we have a half hour Zoom call. Okay, whatever, it's done. But no, it's, it's in person. You have to, those intricacies. But yeah, I think it's, I think it does open it up. Like running a, like we were most productive during it because you had, were at home and you had nothing to do. Like I refused to just sit there um, and just say like, let's, you know, do nothing. And uh, I, you know, at the time there are people involved in Passion FC and we had, I was taking a class about, um, you know, about how to make a business plan. And then like the idea that came to actually do it and we actually founded, you know, and planned and did a lot of stuff during this. And we had an amazing team uh, a lot of transitions, people have left, joined, um, that sort of stuff. But it was something, it was just efficient. And now we have people all across the world um, involved, which is cool and, and a different approach, I would say. Hey, I, I envy your productivity. I, uh, I can say that that three-week junk food phase, I don't know if that's even ended for me. So I, uh, I very much envy the productivity. But just now we can talk a little bit more about Passion FC because I know that yeah. that's something that you're – you know, obviously your main focus. And it's something that I've kind of seen from like inception to now, because I remember in the classes that we had taken, you had had just started it. It was like just an Instagram account, um, yeah. needed a logo. And I said I would make it and then I never did. And then you got someone else to do it. So they did a good <laughs> job. I don't know if I could have done any better. Um, but it's been really cool to watch that grow. And I mean, in, in my words, Passion FC is kind of just like a, you know, charitable initiative to spread the game of football through the lens of like how it's changed people's lives, how it's, you know, benefiting society. Uh, but in your own words, how would you describe passion FC and has that kind of changed as you've, you know, been working on it for longer? Yeah, I think <clears throat> you, you mean, it's really true. Like you've seen since the beginning and it really started in like the early classes where, I just would like just shit on the NFL the whole time or <clears throat> something along those lines. <laughs> and, you know, it was yep. always, uh, I was always kind of the sort of devil's advocate in a lot of our class discussions because of how capitalistic and in a way it was, which is for better or for worse. I think it's just, I've been exposed to a different sporting model. And I think for me though, what I got out of that was social interaction and discussions about it. Not just, it's not like changing others' beliefs, but also changing my own. So for, for, for Passion FC, the idea initially was, I was in Ghana um, and I just wanted to start a place to like share some of the stories that I, uh, that I encountered through my players, through the team that I worked at. And, and you know, it, was, it started Instagram account, only 10 or 12 people posted in my four or five months in Ghana. And then I got back in my, my first marketing class, I think you're in, you were in that. Yes, sir. Um, Lucy, Lucy, uh, who was also in our program, um, she came up to me. She's like, I want in. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? In on what? And she's like, yeah, I want in on Passion FC. I was like, you've seen that? It's like we have like 150 followers. What, what are you talking I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then that was when the idea came like, let's actually develop this more. And as you have conversations with people, as you get challenged on your own beliefs, it became what it is today, which what I view it as is, it's a place where football is used 
the game of football is used to facilitate difficult conversations about society, about culture, about the economics even. I mean, it really, it's an, it, we plan on expanding to a lot of different areas in terms of in-person events when we can have those properly um, and building a curriculum and just being a founder in school is, I just, you just learn a ton. You just learn a ton about IRS filings and you learn stuff you don't even think is important such as communications plans and, and then you you feel like going into your next stuff because it's your own experience and you have no um you have no way to make any mistakes um that you could do anything and i think the most motivation is from the team that we have um which is super unique diverse we're challenging each other's beliefs of what this should be and and if you ask anyone on the team i won't say it's I, I struggled for a long time to say I founded it because I think it's just a mentality, this idea that sport in general, but I think specifically football can be used to have really hard conversations and then as a result, lead to a better society. Um, so yeah, we're certified 501c3 nonprofit. Just, we got a certification in January. We're about to release a fundraising campaign, which is gonna be weird asking friends and family for money. Um, but we're working on the education module. So for example, like. We say, hey, soccer or football can be used to have difficult conversations. Well, what does that mean? How do you build that out into grants? How do you build that out into things that are tangible and, and meet on the bone and not just fluffy and, and let's hold hands and, and kumbaya together? You know, it's, it's more than that, but we need to build that educational module, which I don't have the experience or expertise to, but we have to raise funds to hire the right people to do that. Um, so that's kind of where we're at and, and there's so much to it and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun and a lot of late nights and early mornings hey that's what that's what trying to run a business is like you know you got to put in the put your head down and and push forward but i think in terms of the education stuff that's really interesting because i think the nyu sports program like has done a good job in attempting to do what passion fc is trying to do in terms of like using education to have difficult conversations obviously not like super well just because it was mostly recently <laughs> like there's the you know how basketball can save yeah. the world which sounds a lot like what, you know, Passion FC aspires to do in terms of using a game of something to, yeah. uh, you know, have conversations and unite people through sport. Um, so if you haven't already, you know, had a uh, Hollander experience about the class yet, then I highly recommend that. And oh, if, yeah. if Hollander, if you're listening, please come on. It'll be a fun time. We can shoot the shit. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the in-person stuff is like. I know you had just done, I think one of your first in-person events, like two or three months before yeah. COVID um, yeah. in Brooklyn. And I'm, we had I'm 12 sad. events planned for 2020. We were able to do one. Like one of them was going to be in Argentina and I had everything booked, the room, everything. And the idea was to bring together supporters to discuss like different supporters in Argentina. It's really hard to do. And I had a, yeah. organization I was working with to discuss violence in Argentinian football which is like to get that kind of event to happen would have been amazing but we'll do it one day we'll do it one day so the hey, business man. plan change when you plan for 12 events that just don't happen so oh yeah. for sure I mean my my motto has always been man plans God laughs so yeah. God has been laughing at all of us for around a year now over a year um, <laughs> but hey i'm, I'm really looking forward to free agents podcast over here yeah hey i mean <laughs> passion fc has got me going what can i yeah. say um but on the on the topic of capitalism you brought that up you said that 
yes. you know, you're, you've seen the other system of sport as someone who's like pretty new or pretty new compared to you, maybe in terms of following like European football and all that stuff, you know, the super league, you know, it was pretty jarring for everyone. I think that a lot of Americans fans were like, Oh, this is great. You know, I saw a lot of reactions saying yeah. like, this is going to happen at eventually. Yeah. Um, but as someone who lived in Europe and was like part of the open league system and all that stuff, it's just a travesty. So if, if you had any, you know, say in the matter, how would you try to prevent something like this from happening again? Or is the, is there not a simple fix? Is it just going to happen and we're going to have to deal with it? Yeah. I mean, I think for me working in that, like currently I work for an organization called SD Europe and we, Supporters Direct Europe, and we represent grassroots clubs and supporter groups, um, and we help them. We we help them get more representation at a governing level. And these clubs and groups are often fan-owned. So the three of us give a hundred dollars a year, uh, and we get to vote on our team. Not like the Green Bay Packers, because that's a lot of bullshit. Um, <laughs> they get plaque, and they can say, "Hey, I'm a fan," but that's not true. Nashville SC actually used to be fan-owned. Um, but MLS doesn't allow that. So look, I think the Super League, when you're working in it, like when you saw the impact, it was sort of stuff you kind of knew was coming. It wasn't shocking. And the reality is it's a reaction to to the economy of sport, right? It it didn't just appear. This wasn't an idea that the U.S. owners and the the oil company owners decided, hey, like, let's just do it, see what happens. Like, no, this has been planned for a long time. And, you know, the closed model, if it had gone through, it probably would have, just like let's look at England, I think it's maybe almost 5 million people that go to or participate in football every weekend, right? That's just like going to games. That's not including playing recreationally. Like, I, I don't, you know... I think if that would have gone through, you're essentially killing every incentive of, of culture and, and community, which existed in these places for decades, for you know years. And all of a sudden you've got globally, right? Because it wouldn't have just stopped at, at Europe. It would have gone to the African countries and, and, and they would have had their Champions League and CAF would have fallen apart. It goes to Asia. It goes, I mean, it already is happening in the US and I would argue it's not great, but there is some fight for approach and relegation, but overall, like it would have essentially just displaced the entire concept of what sporting merit means. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really happy that everyone was kind of united and, and in terms of preventing it, I think we're seeing reforms going into place because this was a real, like what other, what other sport does the government, the parliament in England start, you know, getting involved in, in changing the policy. And, and it's really nuanced and complex because like Germany and Sweden have 50 plus one ownership embedded in their laws of sporting yeah. structure. Um, so I think it's, uh, it, I don't think it'll happen uh, anytime soon again because of the, the risk that's occurred, but you know, it is something to think about. And I think just look at the counter to it. Like how many games do you guys watch in MLA, in NBA or NFL or MLB that are just meaningless, that literally have no meaning and meaning until you wake up at the last week. Like, 
And you see that it's meaningless because when teams like the Colorado Rockies now, for example, are not going to have a great season, as the Mets just played themselves, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, what do we do? And it's like rebuilding. And like, it's like socialism for billionaires. It's such bullshit that it's like fair play and league think, but it's not. It's, 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 it's a matter of fact, it's a, it's a, it's a threshold. It's a, it's a limitation on your intellectual freedom to, to enjoy sport, right? It, it limits your definition of what sport means. The fact that Matt doesn't have surrounding him uh, three different teams that he could go to that have, you know, 4,000 here or 200 there, and they can't have the same ability to get to where the NBA, I think that is a limitation of what the concept of sport means. Um, so kind of my rant on it, and I'm sure you guys weren't expecting anything different, but <laughs> I think long-term it wouldn't have worked in Europe because the second Bayern Munich versus Barcelona becomes an annual event, it becomes worthless. Look at you could see it in European basketball that are trying to do it, and football's bigger, I would say, but it would have been short term money. Yeah, I mean, I think it was clear that it was just a cash grab, but like COVID had, I think, everything yeah. to do with that. But an interesting thing, because I wrote a paper on the Super League, mm-hmm. and an interesting thing that I found was there's only 11 closed soccer leagues, closed football leagues in the entire world. 11. Yeah. Like that's yeah. insane to think about that I'd say almost every you know, most baseball leagues, most basketball leagues are either closed or there's just not much of a system to have a promotion relegation, but there's soccer leagues, football leagues everywhere, everywhere. And there's only 11 and it's basically just Australia and North America and Asia. The rest of the world is, is all open. Um, So I agree with the fact that it would just be kind of either saturating the market or just creating so many problems at the local and grassroots level that it's not even, it's not even worth the, the money that you might get. Um, and if anyone's watching the video podcast, you can see that Brandon's wearing a women's U.S. national team. Yep. Kit. Um, and the funniest part, at least to me, was that this whole Super League idea basically excluded the women. They said, oh, we'll have plans to incorporate it later. But some of these women's teams are far more accomplished than the men's teams are even not even that they're more accomplished, but they exist and they play in, you know, the top flight of whatever division they're playing in. And they're in the champions league. And they're like, well, sorry to you guys. You know, we, if we get in the super league and we get banned from our domestic competitions, then, you know, have fun. Don't let the door hit you on your way out. So we will, uh, we will see how that develops. Crazy. I mean, it's, um, it's like, you look at you tell your fans essentially hey you literally mean nothing to us yeah like you literally mean a, a statistic a metric well you just mean a source of income is yeah, what they said exactly. that's all they care about what do they call it the new fans oh, God. Or something like the land of the future i don't even know what they called it but anyway <laughs> super league man not not so super to me but uh we have a Big game coming up, Champions League final. In uh, yeah. I believe it is it is this weekend, if I'm getting my yeah. scheduling correct. It's on Saturday. Uh, they moved it from Turkey to Porto. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be two English teams, which is, seems to be a theme recently because two years ago it was two English teams. And or was that last year? I, it was actually last four with the Europa League as well. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because it was it was uh, Arsenal Chelsea, but all the years, 
past year has felt like 10 years. So I can't even remember what, (laughs) (laughs) what year was which, but I guess we can talk a little Europa league final because it ended on two goalkeeper penalties, which as someone who's not again, like super up on penalty shootouts, but I feel like that's a very rare occurrence, especially because there was only one miss. It was 11, 10 final, which is, you know, I feel like goalkeepers would be able to save more than one penalty a shootout but that's just like pure fifa right there everyone's just cheesing cheesing the penalties <laughs> um but uh ggmu sad to see them lose just kidding very sad not very not sad. sad at all no it is sad it is sad uh, i also i saw that it shouldn't have last... even gone to penalties but that's another it's another yeah. thing the the last penalty david de gea has saved for Manchester United was uh, against Lukaku when he played for Everton. It's been that long. So I think it's been about like 50 in a row that have gone in. And I saw some statistic where there's like a, for an average uh, keeper, there's a 0.04% chance of having just 50 penalties scored on you in a row. Impressive. World-class De Gea. Absolutely world-class. But uh, I think Villarreal, while we're talking rugby league, is like a really inspirational story for why open leagues and why the Super League like is just such a travesty because like well, they're a population of fifty thousand in Spain, like that's yeah. so tiny. And I think they had what a youth player, Pau Torres, one of their center backs, came to the youth academy from Villarreal to win a major European trophy in that like small of an area. Uh, and to bring that club yeah. from, you know, obviously every club starts with at zero and then builds their way up. So to see that was was really cool and is like a entirely unique to European football. So yeah, and good. A Super League would have ended all possibility of that. Exactly. Back, yeah, well, sorry on that note, but <laughs> I think it's a, it's an amazing it's an amazing story, um, and that you know Villarreal. It is part of a larger metro area in Valencia, but there are all these like Twitter, like the the pro rel pro the pro, people who want promotion relegation in the U.S. in like the small grassroots leagues are all like showing this comparison, like statistics of fifty thousand versus and like there's more nuances to it. Oh, for sure, it's a very nice statistic, and it's a flawed analogy, I'll admit, but you know it did. I was happy to see that it wasn't overlooked. This idea that hey, this is a, a really amazing story that was almost taken away and in some places it is taken away yeah well hey i mean i think uh villarreal would have at least been given a, an automatic bid to the super league with a europa league title so <laughs> they would be one of the five lucky teams according to their model to uh to make it to receive an invite <laughs> yeah remember they what to, they, they said in the, the beginning and what would have actually happened would probably be very different oh 100 and you know and then you look at spurs who what did they did they even make Europa League on the final day? I think they did, but just hilarious. Arsenal, yeah. but Arsenal up. too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that you know Champions League final should be more interesting because there will be an American winner, It'll be the second American winner. I found out a couple weeks ago that someone had actually won it. Obviously, it wasn't like a huge feature in the team, but. Uh, a Dortmund player, 96, won it, who was a, a U.S. international. So it's good to see Americans abroad. 
obviously we'll see if Zach Steffen is not going to play. It's just not going to happen because he's their second choice keeper and he's not going to, unless Ederson like gets COVID again. Uh, that's the only <laughs> chance that he has. Um, but Pulisic is going to play. It's just a matter of whether he starts or comes off the bench. So I think that as a American soccer fan, I have to say soccer because Americans do call it soccer, but if it's yeah. not the American team, uh, should feel good about the fact that it seems like the game is growing. There are more definitely dual nationals as well as, you know, American born and bred players that are going to Europe actually playing meaningful hey, games. So the state of Pennsylvania should have a ton of pride because they're both from Pennsylvania. So that is, yeah, who, that's true. Who that knew? True. Zach Steffen's from Pennsylvania and then Pulisic is from uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. So yep. No. I guess it's a hotbed, and you know, it's not literally a hotbed because it's actually quite cold uh, in the summer, <laughs> in, the, in the winters. But um, and you know, you see a lot of these dual national guys too, with uh, Musa just committing over England, and uh, you got Serginho, the the bread boy himself, who says he will only eat bread before the games. He's got a carb up, which is one of the, the funnier clips that I've seen. Um, but it's just, it's good to see, you know, 2026, it's coming home. It's coming home. I think it's coming home. Also, yeah. I think also people shit on like U.S. national team and like they don't really fully understand the infrastructure and that yeah. there are a lot of really talented U.S. players. I think it's just a misunderstanding and like there's these analogies of like football's not popular in the U.S. or, or you know, American soccer is just flawed and outdated and it's not true anymore. And these yeah. types of things enhance that argument for the right side, you know, like the actual side, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that also it doesn't help that U.S. soccer has been pretty corrupt for uh, a pretty extended period of time. Um, I mean, now if it, we're it talking about be... corruption in soccer, that's not just U.S. Like, Oh, oh, for sure. The FIFA and UEFA and everybody is very corrupt. But I think especially the, the U.S., the system there. Uh, not especially, because that's just a lie. The, the FIFA corruption was like prosecuted in court. Like I don't think that it's ever gone to that extent here. But, um, you know, the grassroots stuff has been kind of disgusting in terms of the pay-to-play stuff. But yeah, that's just kind of like American sporting culture. Like if you're good enough, you're just gonna have to pay to be on a good team, or else, you know, have fun playing for your school and hoping that you'll get the exposure. Um, as someone who played like on travel ball teams like it was just a whole bunch of bullshit like i wasn't that good but my parents put me on these teams because i could pay for the uniform and you know i played above my weight but there's there were definitely like 15 other kids who were significantly better than i was and maybe just couldn't you know were in the area so american sporting culture and that's a consequence of closed leagues i would say as well right because yeah i think the grassroots there's no way they can advance if they can't advance, they can't get more revenue coming into the team. They can't get more revenue coming into the team. There's no way that they're going to have any incentive to enhance opportunities for players that can't afford to play. And then it actually affects all your national teams and all, it affects all the, all the aspects. So open system for the win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, just and like, just the academy system there too is so much better. Yeah. It's like you could be a child and not be professional, but you know, be with a team and work your way up through that system or even just switch academies. But in, uh, in the U S it's kind of separate. 
but uh, you know, uh, athletes get a, a college education. Isn't that supposed <laughs> to be the, the be all and savior? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. The answer. We'll do, we'll do NCAA uh, next podcast. Yeah. No. That's a. Yeah, that would be thing. a whole. Um, I I would know, uh, but it should be soon. The the legislation yeah. that will prevent it. But speaking of you know college, there's now, I think it was just recently a like a Georgetown defender who just signed with or midfielder who just signed with Crystal Palace, like out of the yes. U.S. college system, which is you know pretty cool to see. Obviously, it's like a one year deal. I'm sure it's not like he's gonna be in the first team, but I think that it's just proving that maybe, just maybe, the you know U.S. sporting model isn't horrible. For those who can like be inside of it, but again, the fact that you as horrible as we thought, yeah, still, still the buy-in is just a you know simple cost of college tuition, which is you know just a (laughs) mere mortgage on a house. Um, But I think it all depends which uh, which rabbi you ask. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Father Rosenstein probably has some nice uh, (laughs) some nice thoughts on that. Um, but just before we wrap, Brandon had a, a quick betting suggestion for those who Whoa. are in the legal municipalities. Yeah, betting. Well, I mean, this is all just theoretical. Before you start, uh, to my employers listening to this, I have nothing to do with this segment. No, so this you is know. purely purely theoretical. Although and purely Brandon, age, not, not about I'm not, I'm in California right now. I mean, Arik, I'm not. I'm not sure about the legalities where you are right now Mine's a but, lot. but do you think no, it's, do you think it's right brandon do you think betting on sports is right or is that for next i mean we, we can we can say that we can say that for a later date we can have that discussion short answer is but, no comment no comment <laughs> is it right maybe not is it fun yes okay it's only but it's just, only wrong to lose a lot of money exactly yeah is it addicting to be determined Oh, very. Oh, what? But just keeping it to soccer, I'm actually going to make my lock for Major League Soccer. So I just recommend taking the Los Angeles Galaxy uh, at plus 100, who are playing at home against the San Jose Earthquakes. So the LA Galaxy are 4-2 and two in their last six games, and they've won every single game that they've played at home this season. Javier Hernandez, better known as Chicharito, he's been amazing so far. After struggling last year, he's leading the entire uh, league in goals scored with seven uh, in six games that he started this season. And San Jose, on the other hand, is on a three-game losing streak, and they've just been struggling to score, averaging Pain. just one goal per match. So recommend. If you want to, you can also take the under on this, but I'm not sure about that one because last 10 times the Galaxy and Earthquakes have played, the over has hit eight times out of 10. So, well, I mean, if I were to hypothetically put any money down, I would, I would be confident in that because of all the incredible numbers presented by our resident yeah. betting bursts. I have to back here. it up with some data. If I were to yeah. hypothetically invest all my, uh, all my savings, I would bet on this, of course, hypothetically, right? Yeah. Hypothetically. If I were to put all my Dogecoin into one game, and it when I'm be... hypothetically wrong, don't blame me. <laughs> I'll, su- I'll sue you Media for the sports, amount that I lost. You don't know what's going to happen until it happens. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, 
I think that just about does it. Arik, is there anything that you'd like to plug at the end? Yeah. Make sure uh, people know. Just got to thank my sponsors. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, I mean, if, if you got them, bro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just uh, the only thing I'd like to plug other than Passion FC, which is at Passion FC on Instagram, um, is I encourage you all to look at NISA, which is a promotion relegation league happening in the U.S. It's the equivalent of the third division certified by U.S. soccer. And get involved in your local communities and your local teams because they're there. And uh, that's the only way to really change the culture is by standing up and being counted. So other than that, I thank you guys for having me on. Can't wait to be back for the one millionth episode. Um, yes, sir. Uh, we here first, okay? Yeah. One millionth episode special. We'll have literally everyone we've ever had on the pod at once. Everyone will speak at the same time, and it will just be incoherent nonsense. No one's allowed uh, to mute their mic. That's exactly. The, we need to do that's the catch. We need to get the Zoom premium though. I <laughs> I would have to. It's do actually that, really so. expensive though. Fifteen bucks a month. Into that early. Very true. Thank you NYU for not allowing us to record our meetings as a parting <laughs> gift. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but we thank you all for tuning in. Uh, episode five will be on Sunday. Andrew will be back, guest to be determined. But Arik, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you. Really appreciate you it. Got When you're ever you're back in New York, we'll ball out, brother. I will uh, hope that. Hey, we're legal now. We can say that. Right. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> and yeah, oh, thanks yeah. for listening. Back on Sunday.